it's the March 13th, 2020 episode of Weekly Signals Meltdown, broadcasting from Studio A at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And, as always, batteries not included, Mahler, the fake news dog. There we go. Morning, Mahler. Yeah. Coming up, electric hand dryers. Googling Betty DeVos's brother. Yes. Coffee, chocolate, malaria, and more. That's a show. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you just did those three things, yeah. hey, there's a show right there, but you. we're doing a lot more. But first, yeah. how good is your memory, Mike? What? Uh, you always do that. You know, that's just it's a fallback. All right. I don't like uh, that I, one. Okay, all right. You so, can say uh, it's I'll, great. It's, it's, and then, then it gives me great. an opportunity okay. yeah, to it's, carry this right. sham Say on. it again. One more time. How good is your memory, Mike? Great. You really um, think so? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I'm sure you don't. Your fly's open. Thank you. <laughs> From Science Daily. In a study of epilepsy patients, researchers monitored the electrical activity of thousands of individual brain cells as patients took memory tests. The scientists found that the firing patterns of cells that occurred when patients learned a word, pair, were replayed fractions of a second before they successfully remembered the pair. Yeah. So your memory, your brain stores memories, in neural firing patterns that can be replayed over and over again. It's a sequence. It's yeah. set up in a sequence in your brain, and so they can, they can actually chart these sequences getting fired over and over. These and little over. synapses firing. Yeah, yeah. same As, ones all same the ones. time. Yeah. Yeah. Studying how we form and retrieve memories not only helps us understand ourselves, but also how neuronal circuits break down in memory disorders. Mm-hmm. So that's what they were doing with the uh, epilepsy patients. Right. And yet they got a bonus. They discovered how the memory patterns are set up. Right. They have been trying for a long time to figure out how we form sentences, how we form memories, and where it happens in our brain. Yeah. And now they're to the point where they can actually see, I wouldn't say individual synapses, I doubt it's at that level, but they can see patterns yeah. in our brain. My neuronal circuits? Yes. They're going crazy. They are right now? Yeah. Well, I know <laughs> whatever, whenever you step into a room with me, I'm sure you're... It's Neuronal. not just you, Mike. Okay. Uh, okay. Don't, don't oh, it's, it's about you. Well, it is. Can right. you imagine putting together a sentence? How many little sequences are firing yes, off? Yes, absolutely. Because when you say, see the red dog, yeah. my brain has to say, say to itself, what is my perception of red dog and beyond that? And be able Maybe. To, well, there might be a red dog combination that the, you fire off later on right. that has nothing to do with the red dog that you used in that sentence. Boy, you know, Noam Chomsky couldn't have said it any better. Speaking of memory, uh-huh. did you ever have a sexually transmitted disease, Mike? Are we under oath? <laughs> well, we'll just let that go. Yeah. yeah. From Smith, from Smith. Smithsonian Magazine. Mm-hmm. A team of scientists extracted sediments from a field of hydrothermal vents in the Arctic Ocean between Iceland and Norway, which were low in oxygen and high in pressure, and they were hoping to learn about the microbes that thrive there. What they found came as a shock. Multiple strains of chlamydia, 
some of them previously unknown to researchers. They found chlamydia in the Arctic. And listen, I haven't been there in at least 20 years. Wow. Chlamydia. Mm-hmm. Chlamydia. Mm-hmm. Chlamydia. <laughs> yeah. Heidi, Heidi, ho. <laughs> chlamydia are a diverse group of bacteria rendered notorious by chlamydia trachomatis. Wow. That's the sexually transmitted infection that can hurt. It doesn't necessarily have to hurt. But it does. But <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, and there's, there's other things that go on with it. We won't get into the No, details. we don't need to. Yeah. Yeah. All known members of chlamydia depend on other organisms from animals to amoebas for survival. They live inside their hosts. Yes. Yeah. Like a guest you didn't want. Right. And somebody comes over to your house right. and then they want to stay overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Chlamydia. The bacteria discovered on the Arctic floor were abundant, diverse, and active, and yet there were no obvious signs of host organisms. Yeah, what do you think about that? I do, yeah. In the absence of a host organism, mm. the researchers think that chlamydia may replace their host with compounds from other microbes living in the sediment of the hydrothermal vents in the Arctic Ocean. They're just kind of piecing together what they need. Well, it sounds like from this that there is a vibrant, fulsome interplay of activity in this. Yeah. In this you got these hot vents down there that's right. in the Arctic. That's right. They couldn't even duplicate the environment. They tried to in the lab to get this thing going. And mm-hmm. they, that's why they're just supposing that that's what's going on because right. it's such an extreme environment that there's no way they could duplicate this and, and right. test it in a lab. So, so much more assuming. we don't know about it. Uh, this group of bacteria could be playing a much larger role in marine ecology than we previously thought. There we go. So we might need chlamydia. Speak, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, speak for yourself, but yeah, okay. No, not you personally. Okay, all right. I won't get into that. <clears throat> all right. Then. But the world might need chlamydia. Yeah, it might. Well, it needs it in some way, apparently. Apparently it does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is it, Molly? Yeah, yeah. From The Guardian. We like The Guardian over here. The Guardian is a fantastic newspaper. It really is. I read it a lot. Yes, they have an opinion, generally. Mm -hmm. They have a take on things. But it's nice to read their take. I was thinking about this the other day, about learning how to read the news. Okay. Way back in the 80s and the 90s, we used to talk about stuff like that. About how you you took in information. How you take in information. Yeah. Now you just have these news units right. that present the news in their own way. There's there's so many of them that people just talk about that, the news that they hear, rather than how you're supposed to interpret this news. Right. If right. I hear something on Fox, I have a whole different interpretation than if I hear it from The Guardian. Right. A couple of things. It's about branding. Every news outlet now needs to make a profit, which is different from the time when I grew up. Yeah. In olden days, there were three networks. News was not considered a profit center. They were part of a public service provided by the network. Uh, Over time, it's become something now that it must generate profit, it must generate loyalty, it must brand recognition, and that, hence, you get a particular point of view when you're talking about news now. From The Guardian, building new wind and solar plants will soon be cheaper in every major market across the globe than existing coal-fired power plants. This is good news. Kyle said. 
This, according to a new report that raises fresh doubt about why Australia continues to base its energy future on its $26 billion thermal coal export industry. Right, right. A lot of countries are just going backward by continuing to use coal as the main energy resource. It's hard to believe in a country that was just absolutely devastated by wildfires created by climate change, yeah. much of the the circumstances, much of the reason for those massive wildfires was climate change. And coal is a major contributor to climate change. Why would you continue down this path? Well, we have a lot of leaders that haven't progressed. And technology and what we know about the world has progressed so rapidly right. in the last 50, 60 years. Right. These people are still living, God, in the 19th century. At very least, we read a story a couple of weeks ago about how they're going to be able to turn coal into something that will be productive and help the environment. And yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. The Graphene flakes. Yes, that's that, exactly right. That we can right. use in electronics. Yes, exactly yeah. right. So there it may be a future in some respect for coal, but the idea of continuing to pour resources and development into coal is insanity. Yeah. The analysis found renewable power was a cheaper long-term option than building new coal plants. Electricity from solar photovoltaics and wind energy were already cheaper than electricity from about 60% of the coal stations, including about 70% of China's coal fleet and half of Australia's plants. In Japan, where Australia sells nearly half of its exported thermal coal, wind power was found to cost less than new coal plants and was expected to be cheaper than existing coal by 2028. So we're looking a little bit into the future here, right. projecting, but still, that's where things are headed. That's where they're projecting now. If technology tells me anything, the way that the curve goes is it accelerates over time, especially when it comes to new technologies, yeah. and that would apply to wind and solar. Solar power in Japan was forecast to be a better option than new coal by 2023 and existing coal by 2026. Well, the report acknowledged this trend did not necessarily mean coal would be pushed from the market within a decade. But if the public wasn't subsidizing coal and if markets were fairly priced, coal would surely die off. Exactly right. Yeah. Thank you. The, the subsidies that keeps this thing alive. The report called on governments to block new coal projects and phase out existing coal plants in part by changing regulations to allow renewable energy to compete on a level playing field. That's all we ask. There's so much subsidization going into coal these days. Yeah. Gas and oil as yeah. well. It's corporate socialism. And we're paying. Yeah. And when you say socialism... We, the people, are paying to subsidize We're getting nothing back. In yeah. fact, right. in the long term, we're going to be paying more for this mistake we're making. And also making. we'll pay more in health care costs and in infrastructure decline and all kinds of things. Ultimately, new coal investments will become standard assets that lock us into increasingly expensive and polluting power for decades, wasting more than $600 billion and making us all sick. That's in uh, Australia, what we're talking here with the $600 billion. Nationalization. Yeah. Nationalize these things. If this news motivates you, Mike, may I recommend a donation to KUCI to motivate us? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI. 88.9 FM. 
from Reuters. Mm-hmm. Brent crude oil. I didn't know what Brent crude oil was until I read the story. I mean, I knew there were different grades of oil, but Brent crude oil is a major trading classification of crude oil that serves as a price benchmark. Mm-hmm. It's led to its biggest daily loss in more than 11 years. What happened is after Russia balked at OPEC's proposed steep production cost to stabilize prices hit by economic fallout from the coronavirus, OPEC responded by removing limits on its own production. More than one million U.S. crude contracts changed hands during the session as the three-year pact between OPEC and Russia ended in acrimony. Yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack. It's not just about oil. There's a lot of geopolitics in this story. Yeah, Russia has decided to employ a scorched earth approach to the oil market. In other words, every country for itself. Yeah. And the ultimate loser is us. That's right. That's another part of the equation. We're the number one, world's number one crude producer. We're doing it through shale mainly. Right. I was just going to say it's mostly through fracking and extraction, the oil shale. Exactly right. We're the number one crude producer and we're the number one loser. Yeah. Are you tired of winning? I know I am. I'm getting disgusted with winning. This is somebody else's definition of winning. And with OPEC and Russia going at each other, it'll end up being an oil importer's market. So you'll have countries like India being Mm -hmm. the winners out of all this Mm -hmm. because the oil prices will go down, but India will end up being a loser too. The whole world is a real loser here because oil prices will get cheaper. Next thing you know, we're going to be buying SUVs again because people don't think about the future or their children. They just think about now and their own fear of... I tend to think for a lot of the industrialized world, we've turned the corner. We... I I mean, there's no bottom to our stupidity in a lot of regards, but I do think that there is some growing recognition, if not a consensus, that we can't continue to do this. This is also about starving Russia as well, because Russia's economy is completely built on fossil fuel. There is virtually no part of the Russian economy that isn't directly and substantially impacted by fossil fuel production. And so by driving down the cost, they're starting to starve Russia into uh, hopefully, hopefully a, uh, a state where they can't continue to do this. Meanwhile, in reaction to the spread of the coronavirus and an oil price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia yeah. that we just mentioned, the S&P 500 fell so precipitously that it literally blew a fuse. <laughs> it did. Yeah. All trade had to be halted for 15 minutes because they blew a circuit. There's a program with a, I think it's a 15%, 10% or 15% drop yeah. in the market. It automatically triggers the computer system to shut down. Yeah. And it says, no more trading. Yeah. This is nuts. We're running towards the precipice right now, and yeah. we're going to stop yeah. and think about this for a minute. So uh-huh. that's what happened. It's funny. I mean, in some ways, the technology has driven it to this point. Yes. Because we can trade in microseconds. Yes, it's exactly how these guys make money. Yeah. This is the extraction economy. This is money chasing money. It doesn't produce anything except in a matter of nanoseconds by trading stock, you can make money off of doing that. This is the crazy part of capitalism. It's not doing anything except feeding itself. And that's it. And if it didn't have this one little chip in there, it would have gone to hell. Yeah. We're not in control anymore. Even the chip said, this is nuts and we got to stop. By the closing bell, the market's gains for the year had been erased. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
You know, I got to say, there's a part of me that feels like Mahler about this. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah. I, yeah, so what? Yeah. This is good. Yeah. We're going to have to slow down now. We're yeah. going to have to reassess what we've been doing instead yeah. of just going on this greed spree. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of failed circuits, from Wired. Mm-hmm. Wash your hands, but beware. The electric hand dryer. <laughs> did you wash your hands today, Mike? I did. No. Did you dry them good? I did dry them good. Good well. for you. Now, how did I dry them, Nathan? On your pants. <laughs> you better not have used a electric hand dryer. <laughs> Yeah, Ma- yes, Waller. Yes, okay. I know. Back in the aughts, these were everywhere. Yeah. And they're still around. Yeah, they're still I believe around. they're at Dodger Stadium. <laughs> Damp skin is a great environment for microorganisms and, as a result, might increase the likelihood that you'll pass on pathogens, like a little coronavirus. Electric hand blow dryers. <laughs> Thank you, Mahler. Yeah. Yeah. That's he better. has his finger, but he doesn't like the sound of them. Yeah, that's true. Even if they have good quality intake filters, they blow tiny particles of whatever you got at 420 miles per hour. That's the top (laughs) end. But still, they can blow at tremendous speeds. Yeah. So whatever you're trying to wash off your hands is now sprayed around the world. Room. Yeah, yeah. And the world. And the world. If you walk out of there, you're spraying it around the world. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you use? You use paper towels. And I know on one hand, you're going to use some trees. That's why... We ought to get behind hemp. Yeah. There you go. This may sound completely unsanitary because I don't know how much value there is in terms of your getting rid of germs by drying them with a towel. Is that, I I assume that's part of. Depends on where the towel's been. Right. What I'm saying is I have done this where I will wash my hands thoroughly, hot water, walk out of a a facility like a a public restroom, Uh and I will let my hands air dry by just walking around. Well, as long as you're not, no, I'm not putting them on the walls, or I'm yeah, not, I'm not picking more bacteria. I'm not picking gum up off the cement. Yeah. That sounds okay. Just if you have some if sunny weather, yeah. if it's raining outside, I'm rub right? my hands together a little bit to get them, yeah. you know, a little heat going, and uh-huh. I'm done. I don't like the idea. I usually using uh, paper towels. Rub them on other people's clothing. <laughs> well, let's see, there's a <laughs> paper towels are found to be more hygienic. An analysis published by Mayo Clinic Proceedings concluded that, from a hygiene viewpoint, paper towels are superior to electric air dryers. Okay, they are. And that they should be used in locations in which hygiene is paramount, like hospitals and clinics Mm -hmm. and KUCI. I don't use them at all, those blow dryers. They drive me crazy. Yeah. I posted this the other day, this story. And I... People were in so much agreement with me, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I don't understand. Electric hand dryers, it just seems to me on the very base idea that somebody would have said, no, we don't want to do this. We're blowing everything. We're sucking up the air huh. in the restroom, and we're blowing it around the restroom. It's unsanitary. I confess, when they first came out, I was doing it. I was like, wow, this is great. This is warm and nice, and I like this. Yeah. And then it didn't take long for me to... Uh, there's another reason, and this may sound a little wacky. Yeah. Do we need another reason to use electricity? Is there really, is there a burning need for us? Sharpen our pencils. Sharpen our pencils. You, I mean, really? Another reason to suck up energy. Open cans. God, I know. So and so for me, it was like, oh, come on. 
I can walk outside and rub my hands and it'll be dry, apparently. Meanwhile, Russ Voigt, the acting director of the White House Office of Management and Budget, doubled down on proposed cuts to health services and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention despite the coronavirus outbreak. Voigt was under intense questioning at a hearing about Trump's 2021 budget request. These people are, I don't know if they're evil or just really, really militantly stupid. I guess on one hand, do you admire their fu attitude or i mean is there something admire it well i mean not personally admire i mean in the sense that do they never want to admit any kind of culpability or they might be wrong is that i don't know what it is this is nuts i wonder sometimes if they're daring us to bring out the pitchforks yeah is that what it is well you you really want people to get that upset about your own bad decisions well trump has demonstrated that he doesn't care even when it's been demonstrably untrue the things that he says and believes he doesn't care i don't i don't know what it's a pathology is what it is trump's proposed budget cut health and human services funding by 9.5 billion dollars including a 15 percent cut of 1.2 billion to the cdc and a 35 million dollar decrease to the infectious diseases rapid response reserve funds annual contribution is screwed up yeah it doesn't make sense especially now aren't the people connected to what's going on in the real world of course they are but it's like what me worry it's really a what me worry attitude You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California. Visit us at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9 on our Tumblr blog at KUCIRadio.tumblr.com on Twitter and Instagram at KUCI FM. Stream us live on TuneIn or go to KUCI.org. From our good friend Michael Hiltzik at the L.A. Times. He knocked another one out of the park with this article. Everybody should read Michael Hiltzik. If you agree with him or not, at least he throws arguments in front of you that are well thought out. And you can at least see, like we were talking about earlier, learn how to read the news. Learn how to read Michael Hiltzik. You know his positions on things. You'll get a good idea of what a lot of liberals or whatever you want to call us, progressives, are thinking and the logic behind it. Right. In remarks at a press conference Monday, Trump mentioned a payroll tax cut of 0% through the end of the year and possibly permanently as part of a stimulus plan to counteract the coronavirus economic slump. The payroll tax would not help people who need help. That's the problem here. Yeah. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. And it would undermine Social Security. Yes. Which is the one thing that the radical right-wing have been after since Franklin Roosevelt signed it into law to get rid of Social Security. It has been an obsession, the likes of which maybe only abortion exceeds their fervent desire to get rid of Social Security. The one thing that's kept older, elderly people from literally dying on the streets of America, the one thing that's kept so many people out of abject poverty, the most beneficial social program in the history of the country, they are hell-bent to get rid of. Social Security is what the payroll tax is for. Yes. 
A 2% cut in the payroll tax would come to $2,754 for everyone earning the taxable maximum of $137,700 or more. That's the more affluent worker. They're going to make out. On the other hand, the same cut would put only $500 in the pocket of a single parent earning $25,000 a year. How's that going to make a healthy next generation? I don't know. I don't know. Hourly workers sent home without pay or laid off because of the economic slowdown would get nothing. That would include the workers most vulnerable to virus quarantines or workplace closures like service workers or waiters or waitresses, office cleaners, hotel staff. All those people are going to be in serious need right now. And the problem is, is we're all part of this. Yes. This is the lesson of coronavirus. We're all in this together. That's right. Any government official, whether they be a mayor or a senator or a governor or president, who makes a proposal like this under the guise of helping the people who are most affected by this virus is automatically disqualified from being in that office. Yeah. Because it doesn't do anything that you purport it does. And for those still receiving paychecks, the payroll tax would be spread over a year, providing a mere 10 bucks or so a week for a low-income household. Okay, but that's not going to do very much. $40 a month. Yeah. What's most unnerving about a payroll tax cut is its potential to undermine Social Security. The program will receive nearly 90% of its $1.1 trillion in revenue this year from the payroll tax. Using a tax cut as a tool to pump bucks into the economy by robbing Social Security is what's going on here. It has its own revenue stream, a tax dedicated to its upkeep alone. That's right. It's a good system right now. That's right. It's a lifeline to the needy. That's right. And we're right now considering destroying that. And about two weeks ago, Trump was talking to someone, someone in the Oval Office, about cutting Social Security and welfare. I think he was in an interview on Fox News talking about entitlements. Yeah. And this he talked about cutting Social Security. So this is on his mind. And this proposal is evidence of just how deranged this man is in terms of The guy of who said policy. he'd never cut Well, of course he did. Of course Security, he said that yeah. back when he ran for president. From Salon. A watchdog group called on Congress to investigate Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos after a a report revealed efforts by her brother to spy on a Michigan teachers union. DeVos's brother, Blackwater founder Eric Prince, recruited a former British spy to oversee an operation to infiltrate the American Federation of Teachers Michigan chapter on behalf of the far-right group Project Veritas. An operative successfully infiltrated the office to steal files and secretly record officials in an effort to damage the organization. The involvement of DeVos's brother in this scheme to spy on a labor organization in their shared home state of Michigan, DeVos and her brother, raises serious questions about the role the education secretary played in it, particularly in light of DeVos's history of hostility with the same union the watchdog group said. Now, DeVos's family has long donated to groups that oppose teachers' union and has often publicly criticized them herself. I mean, she's favorite for running these... For-profit colleges. Yeah. And protecting them, even when they're shown to be fraudulent and they have they built people out of money, she continues to protect them. And her brother, Eric Prince, is an ice hole. Yeah. He's a flaming ice hole. He's a big flaming ice hole. 
He founded Blackwater, the mercenary firm whose contractors were sentenced to more than a decade in prison after they were convicted of slaughtering unarmed Iraqi citizens in 2007. He's also acted as an informal advisor to Trump, according to the Mueller report. You heard about that thing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get to to read it finally. Congress is finally going to get to read the unredacted. Yeah, exactly. The unredacted version. Prince met with Russian oligarchs to discuss a potential back channel between the Trump team and Russia in 2017. Prince lied to Congress about that. The Voss has sought to distance herself from her brother's sordid career. The Wall Street Journal reported in December that she paid a reputation management firm to suppress Google search hits, connecting her to her brother. DeVos has been obsessed with the teachers' union because they're the one countervailing political force that keeps her from being able to do all of these things, including turning the entire country into a charter school and allowing these for-profit colleges to defraud Millions of people. A, this is all about her making money. Yeah. And her friends making money. It has nothing to do with the with making the nation better. It has nothing to do with making children smarter. It has nothing to do with learning things that are important. It has to do with her and her friends getting rich. Yes. And by the way, the DeVos family and Eric Prince family fortune is Amway. By the way, just for people who if anyone's ever approached you about being part of the yeah. Amway family, these are the ice holes whose family is responsible for, again, a Ponzi scheme. Meanwhile, emoluments. emoluments. Trump's properties have charged taxpayers nearly eight times more than previously claimed for Secret Service stays, according to new documents obtained by the watchdog group Public Citizen. Eight times. Yeah. Eight times more. Yeah. Eric Trump. Yeah. Eric Trump, Eric Trump claimed that Secret Service agents stay at our properties for free, meaning like cost for housekeeping. That's what he said. <laughs> I think I have a pretty good Eric Trump. I think you do a very yeah. fine Eric Trump. I, I was listening I was, to him I the to, other day. I, I, I couldn't tell the difference. I looked away from the microphone for a second, and I thought, wait a minute. Wait just a minute here. He insisted last year that we charge them like 50 bucks. <laughs> Well, no, you didn't, Eric. You didn't charge him 50 bucks. Uh, Receipts obtained by Public Citizen show that Trump's properties have charged the Secret Service $396 per night for 177 rentals at Trump's Mar-a-Lago Resort since he took office. The president's Bedminster, New Jersey Golf Club also charged $17,000 per month for Secret Service agents to rent a cottage on the property. And they continued to pay for it after Trump left. Taxpayers have spent more than $628,000 on Trump properties from this alone, from from shacking up the Secret Service. Eric Trump insisted the company charges Secret Service agents at cost. (laughs) You don't know what at cost means, Eric. Rates reveal that Mar-a-Lago charged Secret Service double what it charged officials from the Department of Veterans Affairs. Unlike other government officials, Secret Service agents who are on duty are exempt from federal limits on hotel spending for federal employees. And I understand that because they're undercover, they have to look, blend in a little bit more. Past presidents and vice presidents allowed the Secret Service to use space on their properties for free. Yeah. This is a monuments here. This is a prime example of, of him 
doing something that's an impeachable offense. If someone says, well, Trump owns those properties and he's entitled to fair remuneration, why does Trump have to stay at his hotels? There's no reason for that. He could stay at Camp David. There are a lot of public facilities that he could stay at. And he spent 355 days, or nearly a full third of his presidency, at his own properties. Yeah, a third. <sighs> when Obama went golfing. Yeah. My God, you should have listened to Fox News. Oh, right? I, know. I mean, it just was I nuts. Know. <laughs> anyway, all right. From Cosmos yeah. Magazine. We got to go. My coffee and chocolate habit could increase malaria risk, Mike. It could. It could. Having linked deforestation to increased malaria transmission, researchers estimate that a fifth of this risk is driven by global demand for popular first world commodities like cacao, coffee, timber, palm oil, soybeans, tobacco, and cotton. Deforestation and other rainforest disturbances can increase malaria transmission by creating warmer habitats and less predators, conditions that help mosquitoes thrive. Just 10 countries could be causing half of this, where the demand for certain products could be exacerbating malaria risk for 10.7 million people in low-income, mostly African countries, scientists write in the journal Nature Communications. In light of this finding, they advocate for policy measures that would help control malaria, a life-threatening disease that afflicts more than 200 million people each year. The study found that developing African countries, Nigeria, Tanzania, and Cameroon, are the highest net exporters of these malaria-implicated products, while top importers like Germany, the USA, and Japan, they're the ones that are buying it up. Yeah. Consumers in affluent countries can help reduce their impact, says senior author Manfred Lenzen. We need to be more mindful of our consumption and procurement, avoid buying from sources implicated with deforestation, and support sustainable land ownership in developing countries. I've switched my chocolate brand. Have you? Endangered Species Chocolate. They just like to throw their name out there. If you that, like chocolate that, yeah, a lot, you yeah, might want to yeah. try these guys. Yeah. They do their best to not get involved in anybody that's involved in deforestation. They cost a little bit more. But that's the world we live in, yeah, as it, you like to say, Mike. It is the world we live in. Yeah. By if the way, you want to do something good, it's going to cost a little bit more. My personal intake of chocolate now has changed dramatically. I have a friend who's a chocolatier, and she makes outstanding chocolate. I don't know where she gets it from now that I'm thinking about it, but... It's the deal. Yeah, that is the it's deal. It's not making it. Right. It's where you get the chocolate. Well, at least it assages my... my no, it doesn't. Of, no, it doesn't. It does. I think she's a, a greedy bastard. Oh, she isn't. I'm going to tell her you said that. Okay. Well, she ought to check out where she's getting her chocolate. Be helpful. From Vice, scientists have discovered the most ancient and distant blazar, a galaxy with a supermassive black hole that spews out mind-boggling amounts of light at the edge of space and time. Yeah. (laughs) The object is roughly 13 billion light years away, but scientists were able to detect it because it's so radio-loud. That means it's incredibly luminous even for being 13 billion light years away. Named PSOJ03094749 by 271757.3. Oh, yeah. Or as I like to call it, PSOJ0309 plus 27 for oh, short. For short. Oh, that's it. There, there you go. Way it is go. the first known blazar at such a high redshift. 
which is a scale that measures the distance of luminous objects based on the distorted color of their light. The Blazar has a redshift of 6.1, which has never been measured before for a similar object. Wow. Yeah. At this redshift, we can observe the universe as it was 900 million years after the Big Bang, which adds up to less than one-tenth of its life, of the universe's life, of 13.8 billion years. Blazars are a special class of active galactic nuclei, which are galactic centers that are anchored by supermassive black holes that feed on gas, dust, and stars. As this material gets sucked into the black hole, it becomes extremely hot and energetic, sparking the release of luminous jets of matter and radiation that travel close to the speed of light. This creates explosive beams that are forceful enough to punch holes clear through galaxy clusters. What separates blazars from regular active galactic nuclei is that their jets are pointed directly at us. Yeah. As a result, they are among the brightest objects in the sky. <laughs> yeah, mother. And finally, William Shatner. Uh-huh. You remember him? I do. Yeah, that Star Trek guy. Space, the final frontier. Well, he didn't say that. The the narrator did. No, he said star. He always said star date such and such. Oh, he said star date. And then he said to go. Okay, all right, all right. I don't know. I never watched the show. (laughs) William Shatner, as part of his divorce settlement, will receive from the horses he owned with his wife, and I quote from the settlement: "All horse semen." However, Elizabeth Shatner was awarded visitation rights to the horses. You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Review podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.